Welcome to Cornerstone Assembly of God's weekly sermon podcast. Thanks for joining us. You can head over to cornerstoneaog.com to find information on different ministries that we offer. Thank you for downloading. Now I think it's time we listen to this week's sermon. Thank you. And uh, my wife and I are really glad to be with you today. Thanks for uh, worship, worship team. Uh, is it Amy? Amy, thank you for uh, leading us in worship and your whole team. And uh, love, the, uh, love the, the, the heart of worship that you have here and uh, appreciate you so much. So keep on keeping on. That's a, a phrase from the 70s. Uh, I'm 66 years old, so some of my phraseology may be, uh, may be a little uh, dated because I, I like some of those phrases. <laughs> uh, my wife and I were hippies running around the city of Detroit, uh, and uh, Jesus got a hold of both of our lives back in 1972. Uh, for those of you who are too young to remember the uh, uh, turmoil of the late 60s and early 70s, and you only see pictures of guys with hair down to here and tie-dyed shirts yelling power to the people, that would have been me. Uh, and uh, my, wife, my wife was not a true hippie. Um, hers was more of a fashion statement. She voted for Nixon. So, so it was more fashion than, than anything else. And, uh, and so we, we, became, uh, we became involved in the Jesus meetings and the Assemblies of God and found our church home there, and uh, it's been home ever since. And I'm honored and delighted to be with you again. I was here about, was it five years ago, uh, my guess is, and I found you to be warm and friendly, and you haven't changed, so that's really good. I'm glad you're not old and crabby and mean. That would be a, that would be a bad thing, so... Uh, we felt really, really warmly welcome today. I believe there's an outline that, is it passed out? Is it available? It's, there's an outline. Someone has a stack of them. Who has the stack? There he is. And uh, if you'll uh, just uh, distribute those. Uh, well, I'm going to continue to share because it'll be on the screen uh, behind me as well. Um, today is a, a significant day in the life of your congregation. I know that you're aware of that. It's a significant day for the history of this church and your personal history, and also uh, Pastor Brenda and uh, Brian's, uh, and also Pastor Neil and, and Deborah, as you are transitioning uh, today. You've been in the process, you know, transitions, it's not a period, it's a transition. It's more like dot, dot, dot in between sentences. That uh, this transition has been in the works, so to speak. You've been talking about it, you've been praying about it, and uh, today is the day where it uh, uh, officially uh, maybe uh, occurs. And I want to share today how to truly transition to a new pastor and to a new lead pastor, to new leadership. The fact of the matter is, pastoral change happens sooner or later. It changes. Pastoral change will occur. 
Um, some, some, trans, some pastoral transis, transitions uh, occur because the pastor passes away. I'm not glad that that didn't happen here, and we're all happy you're alive and well. Uh, many times it happens when a pastor retires, and Pastor Neil's really not retiring, he's just shifting roles uh, at this point in time, but he is retiring as the lead pastor, and so we, we know that that is very clear. Many times pastoral transitions occur because a pastor has determined that the work that God has called them to is finished in a particular geographical location. Um, that is... That is that is something that uh, people who are in ministry are very aware of. Uh, it's the sort of thing that occurs internally. Uh, Pastor Brenda has been on that, on that, uh, in that sense, very aware of that uh, as a pastoral person uh, at Charlotte, and then feeling that burden to move elsewhere, that she was finished with that particular assignment from the Lord and then moving on to Marshall and then the transition up here and now you're here and, and you understand that kind of sense. That it's, it's an internal sense of being done. And, uh, and so uh, pastoral uh, change happens because of that. Now, the reaction to these kinds of changes is, is varied. Uh, some people get angry over pastoral change because it represents any change. So my wife and I were with a congregation. Uh, they run between 600 and 700 people. They're in two services. And we said, how many people here like change? There were 11 people who raised their hands. 11 out of between 600 and 700 people. Now, I counted those, I counted those numbers specifically, and, and it's even less than 11 because Karen and I are the two people who said we like changing both services. So with seven of them plus our four votes. And so uh, that is, people typically don't like change. For, for a number of reasons. One, they've seen that when change happens, it hasn't gone particularly well. One, uh, secondly, they, they don't know what change is really going to end up looking like. It's the sort of thing that when you, move your, uh, when you move your couch in your living room and you do spring cleaning or whatever, or winter cleaning or whatever season we're in right now, kind of confusing in Michigan, and happy spring. Uh, but uh, when you move that, there, there are those carpet divots. And, and, and those carpet divots need to be filled again. And so you put the couch right back in, and the couch just goes, this is where I belong. I've been here for a long time, and I'm staying here. And, and those divots in our souls, those divots in our lives, that, that we just like things the same. And yet we know, realistically, life never remains the same. We have a friend who... Uh, whose 11-year-old daughter was in the other room, and, and he heard her say these words, Dad, what is this? And she came around the corner with a cassette. She says, what is this? And he goes, well, it's a cassette. And she goes, what does it do? He said, well, you, you put it in a cassette recorder, and it, and it plays back music. And she goes, how? The only thing she's seen is a CD in her life. And now she's into MP3, MP4, et cetera, et cetera. What's, what's it going to look like? I don't know from now on. 
But it was hilarious to, to realize that in a very short period of time, cassettes are going to be really things that we see in historical museums as something we laugh at like we do 8-tracks now. Okay, for those of you who don't know what an 8-track is, you didn't miss a lot. Okay, it was a device you put in your car and you put it in and every song started the same way. And then, it's, and then it played. Uh, how many, just think about, te- just to change te- technologically. Uh, I, remember, I remember our first TV set when I was a kid. There were, there were, it, was, it was the fourth TV set in the entire neighborhood. It was in a box about this big by this big by this big, and the screen was this big, and it looked mostly green, and we had three channels, sometimes four. On a clear night, we got Hockey Night at Canada. Okay? That was it. It was black and white, and uh, when the plastic channel changer broke, uh, we, we used uh, a pair of pliers to change the channel because that was metal. How many had that TV set? Okay? At one point in time, we had a TV set that had rabbit ears on it with tin foil on the rabbit ears with me adjusting that, okay, and my wife saying, okay, right there. And then I'd let go, no, 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 stand right there. What? <laughs> I am now an antenna, you know. Okay, so, so now, now we have cable. We have 600 channels or something ridiculous, maybe 300, no, 600 channels. It's still hard to find anything decent to watch. But the, it's really crystal clear. <laughs> and, and just the changes in that. Listen, change, change, and ad- adjusting to change and adapting to change is something that we all are doing and we have to do. And sometimes it's in relatively short periods of time. Sometimes it takes longer. But we're all involved in change. And if you get angry that change is happening, then you're just going to be kind of a touchy person, kind of an angry person. And... Uh, and, uh, you know, that's not a good way to live. It's not a good way to live at all. It's better to recognize that and adjust and learn how to adjust. Some people are sad. Some people are numb when pastoral change happens. Sometimes people are confused. Sometimes people are nervous. Sometimes people have all sorts of reactions. And my guess is that not a lot of that has gone on here because of the highly relational uh, congregation that you are. But I wanted to mention that to you because that's very normal. So if you had any one of those reactions at any given time, or may be sitting here today with that kind of, of even trepidation, listen, that's very, very normal. So could you look at the person on your right and left and say you're pretty normal? Go ahead and do that. Unless they're not... And, and unless they're not, and listen, you're all by yourself. You're, you're normal. I, I don't know. Maybe you are. Maybe you are. So there are seasons of ministry for a church and seasons of ministry for pastors and pastoral leadership. The church I pastored for 25 years uh, in the Detroit area was founded in 1962. The first pastor was there for five years. The second pastor there was 17 years. I was there for 25 years. The current pastor has been there for for approximately eight years. They have four pastors since 1962. That's relatively stable. That's unusually stable, actually. 
Uh, it's just, I had a lot to say to that group of people. It just took me 25 years to finish. That's all. And I was done. And uh, was asked to serve uh, our district in a, in a different way. But each of the pastors for that congregation brought a different leadership style, different giftings, different abilities. Each one had a, a little different take on things, but, but all of us shared the same love for the community. All of us shared the same love for the church. All of us saved. All of us shared the same love for the kingdom of God and how it was to be advanced through that local church. And so you're in the midst of that kind of transition right now. And so this message comes out of my own personal experience in transitioning, as well as my experiencing with helping pastors and boards and churches uh, to transition to new pastoral leadership in as healthy a manner as possible. And I'd like to read Joshua chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 9. It's on your, uh, on your outline. It'll be on the screen. You can look it up uh, on your reading device or in a physical Bible, whatever you read from. And this is uh, NASB. Now it came about after the death of Moses, the, Mos the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all of the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea towards the setting of the sun will be your territory. If that sounds familiar, it should, because that's, not only did God speak that to Moses, he spoke that before that to Abraham. And now he's reiterating it to this present generation. No man will be able to stand you before all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. Wow. What a promise. That is an amazing promise. Just as I've been with Moses, I will be with you. Now, that didn't mean that Joshua would never encounter problems. He knew the history of Israel, and he walked through that with Moses. But an amazing promise. I will not fail you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. you uh, do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you'll be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is, first of all, a call from God to an obvious focus on the not-so-obvious. When, when God announces, Moses, my servant, is dead, that is not fast-breaking news. Everybody knows Moses is dead. Israel knows Moses is dead. Joshua knows Moses is dead. They know Moses is dead, but God is speaking and obvious, the obvious, giving them an obvious fact that they already know about. So why is he doing that? I think he's doing it to draw attention to a transition time. That he's rec he wants them to recognize that a new leader is now ready to lead. You see, it's not enough for God to appoint a leader. 
until the people that God's appointing a leader to accept that person as a leader, things do not fit together and they don't happen. So I became the pastor in 1983 at Warren Assembly of God. We uh, built a building then in Sterling Heights and changed our name to Freedom Christian as it didn't make sense to be Warren Assembly of God and be in, a, in Sterling Heights. And so we changed our name. And, uh, but I, I, I became pastor there in 1983. And, and one, I remember one lady said, Pastor Jeff, I said, yes. She said, you'll never be my pastor. And I said, I, I'd like to try to be. She said, nope, you'll never be my pastor. My pastor's gone. He left and, and no one will be my pastor other than him. And I said, well, I, I, I hope you give me a, a, a chance to become your pastor because I'd really like to be your pastor. And you know what? It never happened for her. Never did. Much to my, my sadness. I was, I was just sad about that because I, I wanted to be her pastor. And I think some people, I was immediately their pastor just because they, they, uh, they adjusted to the change quickly and easily. Maybe they're more ready for change than others. I don't know. And others, it took a while. Some just kind of waited and see. They kind of treaded water uh, to see what kind of guy I really was uh, and, and those, those kinds of things. And so I know that you've had these plans for this transition to occur for some time. We had a, a lunch with Deborah and Neil and uh, uh, Brenda. We met in Midland and talked through some of this stuff. And I think I was aware of it before then. And uh, the whole process has played out. And, we had a, and you had a, a vote uh, an official vote, uh, and, and that vote was important for at least two reasons. Number one, it gave the congregation the opportunity to truly express their feelings without, without publicity, but to do that by ballot and, and to really express that. And then secondly, it's important because Bren, Pastor Brenda needs to know that this congregation has truly express their heart towards her. I think those things are important. And that's why we do uh, the things that we do. Some people say, well, come on, God's doing this. Well, listen, here, here's what I know. Here's what I know. Just because something is God's will doesn't mean that you just go on automatic and things happen. I mean, I believe it was God's will for me to marry my wife 43 years, 40, almost 43 years. I was rounding up. I was rounding up. Almost 43 years. I do know. I do know. Actually, I'm better at that than her. Uh, yeah. No, no. It's true. It's true. But uh, so, so when I married her, I believed it was God's will. And we didn't just say, I do, at the altar. And then just go on automatic. We didn't put any, put any effort in it. Because even though something's God, something is God's will, we've got to work at that. God gives us the stewardship part of that. And says, now here, work at this. And so we joined almost 43 years ago, and we've been joining together ever since. You join and you keep on joining in a marriage, don't you? At church, you join and you keep on joining for the purposes of God. God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will being done in your earth, in your life. You say yes, and you say yes, and you say yes, and it's a continual process. I, 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 wished, I wished I could tell people it was different, that I accepted the Lord 40, 44 years ago almost, and now I just went on automatic, and I just became conformed to the image of Jesus Christ automatically, 
and it costs me nothing. No toil, no problems, no repentance. If I told you that, I'd be lying. And I'd like to tell you that, that at my age, uh, I'd, like, I'd really like to tell you that the discipleship process is over. But it's not. It's never, ever over. Secondly, it's a call to remember. It's a call to remember previous personal and congregational history. Again, that same promise God gave to Abraham, he renewed through Moses, and he's now reiterating it. So that very ancient, long-ago congregation that God originally promised his intentions towards, that was reiterated at a previous generation, and now to the present generation to see God's kingdom come, to see his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's, God's original intentions for this church here in Beulah, not just the geographical location. You know, I'm, I don't know your history here. Uh, was anybody here around when it was first, uh, first founded? You were. Anybody else? So you're like, you're like, you're like uh, the matriarch of the congregation. Cool. Uh, God had some original plans back then. Those plans haven't changed. They're shaped differently. They look differently. We have electronic stuff, really cool stuff. We don't even have cassettes anymore here. Uh, but, uh, but all of that, it, it looks different, but it's, it's the same purpose for people to come to know Jesus and for people to ho learn how to live in his presence. And I think it's important for people to get a sense of that. You know, on the day of Pentecost, a lot of cool things happened. A lot of really neat things. People uh, were filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke in tongues for the first time in history. Uh, we look at it as the birthday of the, of the church. All sorts of great things are happening. But one thing is happening there that I think we should pay more attention to, and that's this. It's what Peter does. When, Peter, when, when, when the people can't figure out what's happening, you know, and they, and they get it wrong. They get it really wrong. They think everybody's drunk. Okay, they get it really, really wrong. Okay, and uh, and Peter does this. Peter stands up and he says, "This is that that Joel spoke of." And when he does that, it's not just an explanation of to uh, to the people that are mocking and scoffing. What he's doing is more than that. He is saying, "Listen, what is happening now is a result of prophecy." And, and I think the church from that point on was able to be able to say, listen, we are a people of prophetic destiny. Wait a minute, this isn't just what happened. Look what's happened. This is that that Joel said, that Joel prophesied that in the last days God would pour out his spirit on all flesh and sons and daughters would prophesy and it would be men and it would be women. And God was doing a new thing then and he's still doing that same new thing today. And there's something about being a congregation, that's okay. But there's something more about being the people of God and a congregation. And there's something even more purposeful than that when you see yourself as God's larger, as a part of God's larger prophetic destiny, who are the people of God who are also a congregation. There's a weight to that. There's a weight to it. There's a strength to that. There's a purposefulness to that that, 
that uh, I believe everybody, every congregation should gain. It's also a call to remember former leadership. I think you've probably heard, this is one of those phrases that's been repeated so often, it's almost become a Christian cliche, but please let me repeat it one more time. Robert Hooke was writing uh, and, uh, to William Booth, actually William Booth wrote to him, and he was saying, wow, you're doing a great job and things like that. And Robert Hooke replies with this, if I have seen farther than others, it is because I have stood on the shoulders of giants. All of us, all of us are people that have been influenced by, the, by godly people in our past. And we're so grateful for them. And so we should be, you know, we should love, we should appreciate our past leadership. And, and to remember them in that kind of way. It's, a, it's also a, a call, it's also a call to be aware that that God is, is recognizing in fresh ways calling and commission. If you're looking for where we're at on the outline, it's number three. Uh, God is the only one in the universe that is sovereign. The only being. He doesn't need to check with anybody if it's okay to do anything he wants to do. All of us under that need to. <laughs> and so he is truly sovereign. And he, he makes choices and he does things and and, and he does, th- does those things for his glory. He does them for our good. And he calls us to participate with him. But it's interesting when it comes to pastoral selection and pastoral change, how much God is interested in personally preparing the people who are going to lead. So I could say this, and I didn't ask your new pastor's permission, but I, and I don't think she'll find it insulting, but 10 years ago, you were not ready to lead this congregation. Ten years ago. She is now. Think of all the personal decisions that go into your, your own discipleship process of saying yes to God, of agreeing with Him, of saying, oh no, that's not good, I should repent. Think of all of that and then, and then layer that on with a call to ministry and what that might look like and that, what that should look like and then discerning God's will and God's purposes and discovering your giftings. All of us have things that we're really good at. Well, semi-good at, some of us. There are, things that you are, there are things that you are better at than, than other people. And there are things that other people are better at than you. And it's a wise leader that knows his or her limitations and says, listen, I, I do this well. I'm going to continue to do this well. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to delegate and I'm going to train. I'm going to equip and, and give responsibilities to, share, to, the, to the congregation to share as a whole. It's a healthy way to live. There are giftings and timings and seasons and that's why one of the reasons why we're here today. Fourthly, it's a call to accept new leadership. Again, as an extension of the previous leadership in fulfilling the purposes of God. Pastor Neil was not Moses and Brenda is not Joshua. How many recognize that? Okay, so don't, please don't read anything more into this than you should be. I'm not saying that. And again, Pastor Neil's not dead. But, but yeah, and Deborah says amen. But it is a call to adjust to the distinctive style and characteristics that Pastor Brenda has. 
She is different. She will do things differently than any of your past leaders have done. Some things will be done the same. Now, those of you, when I say that change will happen, those of you who especially who have deep divots in your carpet <laughs> are going, oh no, change, you mentioned the C word. Uh, and, and, but don't, because Pastor Brenda is wise enough to know that, that change occurs. In fact, one of the things a shepherd does is set the pace of how much change, not just direction, but how much change and how fast the change should happen. And a wise, a wise shepherd bathes that in prayer. But she'll do some things that, that are different than the way things have been done in the past here. Uh, my son became the pastor at uh, the church that we pastored for 25 years. He'd been on staff with us for 10 years. Six years as a youth pastor, four years as, as an executive pastor because we hit a, a growth bump and we needed uh, somebody in that position. And, uh, and then uh, as I was leaving, I, I was not involved in the uh, process. I stayed out of it, actually, completely. And, uh, and uh, when they went through their process, they considered Aaron first. Uh, simply because they knew he was at that age where it was time he was at that age and maturity and preparation, and he was ready to lead somewhere. He was ready to be a lead pastor. Now, not every lead pastor, not every pastor, not everyone called to pastoral ministry should be a lead pastor. There are people who do better uh, in, in um, uh, pastoral roles. They're on the pastoral team, and they do better in those roles than they do as the lead person. A lead person has to have particular attributes and giftings and callings. And... Uh, and he uh, asked the, uh, the pulpit committee, the pastoral search committee, do you really see me as the lead guy? And they said, yeah. And he goes, no, 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 that's too easy. You answered too quickly. Do, do you really see me as able to lead? Or do you still see me as an executive pastor? Or do you still see me as the youth pastor? Or do you just see me as my dad's son? Or worse yet, do you see me as that nine-year-old Royal Ranger who learned how to climb to the roof of the building the first week he was here? <laughs> and they said, no, we, we really do see you as the lead person. And they did, and it worked. And the, the, the transition time uh, took place, and it was relatively seamless. I won't tell you it went perfectly because there's no such thing as perfect this side of heaven, except for my wife. Now, that was a save. <laughs> that was a save. Uh, all right. That was awesome. I'm done. I'm done now. Let's close. Sweet. Yeah, you'll remind me of that. Oh, okay. And so let me ask you this question, congregation, and I don't want a verbal answer. Uh, do you see Pastor Brenda as the lead person here? I hope you do. And I hope you let her lead. And I hope you support her. And I hope you encourage her. And I hope you cheer her on. I know Pastor Neil and Deborah are doing that. I know that. I know that. Pastor Brenda is one of our 12 lead pastors in the state of Michigan, lead women pastors in the state of Michigan. And I was talking to one of, uh, one of your cohorts, and I said, okay, are you, a, 
a female lead pastor? Are you a lead female pastor? Are you a lead pastor who happens to be female? And she said, I don't know, I just who I am. So that's who she is. All of the above. Let me say something about learning to love and appreciate new leadership. Pastor Brenda, how long have you been up in this area officially now? Yes. In June, last June. Okay. Um, let me talk to you about that process and, and, and point out something very important. Accepting and loving new leadership does not discredit former leadership, nor is it a betrayal of friendship. I, I was working with a congregation. It was a small congregation. They had 14 members and uh, worked with them in their pastoral search, and they, they found the, the, the person that they that they wanted and God was leading through the process and he said yes and so we had the official vote and uh, uh, this one individual who was on the board and on the on the search committee uh, was a, was vitally involved in that and it was that was unanimous from the board and uh, then the vote came and the vote was 13 to 1 13 yes and and one no and so you know, that's a high percentage. Everybody, we were happy about that. And, and then this one board member took me aside and he said, Pastor Jeff, I, I need to tell you something. I said, what's that? And, she, and he said, I believe God's will was done today. I said, you know, I believe that too. He said, but I couldn't vote yes. <laughs> okay, so that, that's a little, you know, that's like, I know this was God's will, but I voted against it. You know, it's like, What? And, and, I, and I just said, I, you know what, time out, you, you need to help me with that. Help me understand that. And here's what he said. He said, our former pastor and I were really good friends. We hunted together. We fished together. His kids and my kids were friends together. And I felt like if I voted yes, I would be betraying his friendship. You know, I have compassion for that. I understand that. And I said, you know what? I get that. You should have voted yes. But, uh, but, but I do understand that. And, and I wonder how much of that remains unspoken during tr uh, transition times. Uh, so loving Pastor Brenda as a lead pastor doesn't mean that you are betraying your friendship or your relationship with Pastor Neil. You know, when, when we left Freedom Christian, we, I, whoever, it, as it turned out, it was my son, but whoever the new pastor was going to be, I wanted the congregation to love him or her. I wanted them, I wanted them to pray for him or her like they prayed for me. I wanted them to honor the new pastor the way they honored me. I wanted them to forgive their new pastor the way they forgave me when I made mistakes, because mistakes are inevitable as well. And then let me say this, secondly, the corollary to that is this, that loving previous leadership need not discredit or undermine new leadership. Pastor Brendo knows that you have a deep, long-lasting relationship with Pastor Neil, and she's not going to be insecure about that, unless you say dumb stuff to her. Okay? Just, just be careful, all right? Like, you know... I love Pastor Neil with my whole heart. I can't imagine anybody being a better guy than him. Thank you. 
You know, I mean, you know, you need to be sensitive to that. I can't imagine you doing that, but every once in a while, somebody might accidentally say, it's, it's sort of like people don't know this about pastoral comments, but I can't tell you how many times, you know, we'd invite somebody in and, 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 and they would share something and they'd preach from something and, and somebody come, would come up invariably to me and they, didn't, they weren't being mean, they just clueless. Pastor, the message that that guy preached, that's the best message I've ever heard in my life. Thank you. Wow, he spoke on the book of James, chapter 2. I've never heard that. I did that last month. <laughs> but we're big people, and we get over that. It's part of the leadership mantle we wear. Maybe I shouldn't be so transparent. Uh, so please understand that and, and be sensitive to that. Number five, this is a good time to re-examine and re-understand the role of a pastor or a leader. Pastor Brenda's role is to equip, lead, and feed. Equip, lead, and feed. Equip, lead, and feed. And, and it's the body of Christ working together. It, it was never, listen, the, the congregations I've pastored, it was never the Pastor Jeff show. Never. It was about how we did life together. About how our relationships in the congregation were healthy. And when they were unhealthy, how we, how we saw them, how, how we developed a culture where, where relationships could recover and be healthy again. Congregational life, nothing like it. It is a call to change. So let me talk about change for just a little while longer. Again, your attitude towards the change here at, at, uh, at Cornerstone will be largely will largely reflect your attitude towards change in general. So think back about the changes you've made in your life and how you've accomplished them. The way you did that in healthy ways and the ways and the times you didn't do it in such a healthy way and yet yet you you can learn from those things so that this change is something you adjust to well. Recognize again that change is inevitable. It will happen. It is happening. But also recognize its necessity. There's a scripture in Jeremiah 48, 11 that talks about Moab. And, and this, is what, this is what the Lord says. Moab has been at ease since his youth. He has also been undisturbed, like wine on its dregs. And he has not been emptied from vessel to vessel. Therefore, he retains his flavor and his aroma has not changed. And then he goes on and says, therefore, I will tip him out and begin the process of pouring him. It's a reference to the way uh, a master winemaker made wine in those days. That the first press of the grapes would have particulate matter in it that needed to settle out in order for the refinement to start. And it would be placed and poured from one vessel to another vessel. Some of those vessels would emit more light than others. Others none at all. They'd be in different shapes, different sizes. And I'm sure that Moab as wine sitting on his dregs was just sitting there and it was comfortable and he wasn't really happy about change and God says listen you're remain you've remained undisturbed and that's not good because you're starting to smell like yourself 
You're retaining your own smell. You're retaining your own flavor. The dregs, the stuff that needed and should be filtered out of your life, it was starting to, you were starting to, to draw that back up into you and, and therefore you need to be poured. And I don't know what Moab was like, but I imagine if he was sitting there, it was like, whoa, where are we going? What are we doing? And this will be the last pouring, right? Maybe. Just settle in. Let more of the dregs, let more of the dregs settle down and allow God to refine you. And, and so God is interested in, in, in change because it's necessary. Listen, the Holy Spirit is the biggest change agent in the universe. He wants to change people. He wants to change you. He wants to change you as an individual from the inside out. He wants to change your, your family. He wants to change your congregation. He wants to change the world. He wants to change this community. And I, I love, I, I just love coming. I've only been here twice, but I absolutely love coming here because both times I've been on my way here, I was convinced I was lost. <laughs> I really, and I have GPS, okay? I have GPS. Her name's Sylvia, and, and, and she got me here both times. But, but it's like, this is such, I mean, you guys are so unique because you're here, and, and yet you're from everywhere around here. I think, I, think this, I think this is just absolutely unique, and I respect you. I admire you for that. I love you for that. And whatever you're doing and wherever you live... <laughs> Uh, you know, in your local community, God wants to change your community. And this is a place from which that change can be influenced in the greatest degree, I believe. And so change has demands. It demands something from each of us. Without getting political at all. When Hillary Clinton wrote a book called It Takes a Village to Raise a Child, there's a big uproar, and I think some people were pushing back against that and, and saying, hey, you know, now if, 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 and I didn't read the book, but if that, intended, if that was intended to mean that the government should raise children, then I'm totally against it and I'm part of the uproar. But the truth is it does take a village to raise the kids, <laughs> to raise children. It, it took, for our kids, it was me and my wife and her family, not so much my family, because I was the first Christian in my family. Her family heavily influenced their Royal Ranger leader, their, their, uh, their youth leader, their, their Sunday school class teachers that, that they remember to this day. They may not remember specific lessons, but they remember the heart of the people who love them. So much so that when my youngest son wasn't serving the Lord for a couple of years. Maybe 16 to 18 years old. During that time, you know what? He never stopped coming to church. You know why? Church was a safe place for him. Church was a place where people loved him, and he knew it. And it didn't matter if he was serving the Lord or not, people loved him. And they cared about him, and it was good for him. And then he gave his heart back to the Lord and everybody was even more happy. But it takes, it takes a community. It takes a group of people to help and to influence. Listen, 
I, I, with, I am not minimized, without minimizing the direct work of the Holy Spirit, I can tell you I am the leader I am today because of the congregations that I have pastored. Absolutely. And because of the friendships I have. And because of my wife. Yes, twice in the same message. Sweet. It's not even in my notes. I'm doing really good today. I'll retire tomorrow. Change not only has its demands, it has, a, it, it has a, its responsibilities. When change happens, it, we're all responsible to, to help the change happen and to do it in as healthy a way possible. Each one of us and all of us together. And then it costs. It costs us. It costs us. Let me talk about adjustment to change and then I'll be uh, finished with this part of it. Uh, there, there is a huge difference between what is sacred and eternal and what is simply practical, methodological, and temporal. There's a huge difference. You know, and, and most of the t- arguments in churches are over style and not substance. It's really, it's really the case. I'm, I'm really glad. Um, are, is it Amy? Amy, you're the leader of the worship team. I'm really glad that you're singing updated songs. Really glad for that. Really, really glad for that. Because that's, those are the songs that, that, that God is putting on people's hearts and writing today. Now, there's nothing wrong with the old songs. Okay? And, and people tend, listen, people tend to imprint with what they were born again into. Okay, so... I was born again into the Jesus meetings. Okay, picture this. 1,500 hippies sitting on the floor. I can't even sit on the floor anymore. Okay? Well, I can. I just can't get up easily. All right. I can get down. I just can't get up easily. All right? Five fused discs in my back. Okay. So, so picture that. And say, 1,500 ex-hippies singing Kumbaya. 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 They told us it meant, Lord, come by here. We have no idea what it meant. But it was groovy. Okay? I, I have not sung Kumbaya in probably 35 years. All right? Was it an important song to me back then? Totally important to me. Do I care if I ever sing it again? No. Except at the end of the service today, Amy. I'm counting on it. Please, no. One last time. Listen, Mu- things about music and all of, and preference, those are just, the, we've got to focus on the main things. The main things have to remain the main things always. And it's about redemption. It's about relationship with God and relationship with each other. And the, the rest of the stuff is just stuff. Do you, do you realize that our Pentecostal forefathers would have died if they knew we had a coffee shop in the foyer? Some of them. Well, they did die, except for you. They all died except for you. Do you drink coffee? Do you drink coffee? And she drinks coffee! Sweet! We've got the old. We've got the young. We've got it going here. And my wife is here. Okay. Okay. Let me, let me read the third, uh, the next, uh, if you go to the next one, 
sentence number three. This, I wrote this sentence. It's the best sentence I've ever read. I've ever written in my life. So not claiming it's anointed. I'm just claiming it's really good. Listen to this. All of us need to be free from the notion that everything be done according to my own personal preference, my own personal style, my own personal habit, my own personal opinion, my own comfort zone, frame of reference, my own need, my own benefit, my own insecurity, my own fear, understanding, timing, priority, or ministry. Because it's about the kingdom. It's not about me. I love the first, remember the Purpose Driven Life? It was written by Rick Warren, I don't know, a lot, long time ago now, what, what we call long, 10 years. I love it because the first sentence of that book was, it's not about you. And I thought if we could learn that, if we could learn that and make it about him. And so I want to encourage you to respond with prayer and thoughtful consideration and goodwill and patience and pray for the congregation and assist each other with that. Help each other during transition because transitions transitions are always fraught with difficulty there's no such thing as a transition that has no problems there's always things that that are potential problems they need not become problems but they can get resolved early before they become something major and please remember to pray for and encourage your new pastor and her family they're going to be making adjustments for some time and can i tell you something of all the adjustments anybody is making, they're making the biggest adjustments. They really are. And I, and I say that as a, as, a, as a former pastor, as a leader, I know, I know what it costs. I know what it requires. And lastly, a call to new leadership to be strong, courageous. Now, Pastor Brenda, if, if you want to do a Bible study there, and those, those seven verses... The, the promises that God gives to Joshua are amazing. And he calls Joshua to be strong, courageous, visionary, personally obedient, victorious, assured of God's help, anointing, provision, enablement, and most of all, presence. God says to Joshua three times in those nine verses, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. In fact, he says, be strong and very courageous. And then he says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Because leadership requires that. And then I love it because in chapter 2, the congregation says to Joshua, Joshua, we want you to be strong and courageous. You know, there's nothing more powerful than what, when the Holy Spirit and the church say the same thing. Something extremely powerful about that. For whose sake? For the sake of congregational destiny and for the sake of the kingdom of God. Pastor Brenda and Brian, if you'd join me up here. And uh, Karen, will you go get that shepherd staff? And I'd like you guys to stand right over there. This is not a marriage, but... <laughs> and kind of face me. Um, this is a shepherd's staff that, uh, that we give to, uh, to pastors, uh, uh, symbolizing what it means to be a, uh, a shepherd. 
and uh, Pastor Brenda received one in Marshall, and today I'm giving her a, uh, a new uh, tag to place on there and uh, put that in there so that, uh, so that you have that. Uh, and, and I'll talk about that in just a minute. I want to talk about the word consecrate, consecration. And that's the second one. Very good. Thank you. Uh, we used to talk about installing new pastors, but that sounded like a dishwasher. And so, so we found a more holy word, and, and it's consecrate. And the word consecrate means basically this, to make or declare sacred, to set apart or dedicate to the service of God or to dedicate to a sacred purpose. So anything that is consecrated is set apart. And really the word consecrated and holy have the same kind of uh, meaning to it. So even in the Old Testament, I mean, people are holy, places are holy, things are holy. In the Old Testament, the fire pans and the incense, you know, there was don't burn this incense, this is holy incense, it's been consecrated, it's been set apart. It's been set apart from its common use to a sacred use. Not just from evil to common, but common to sacred. And, and certainly, Pastor Brenda and Brian, both of you have made those choices. You've, you've consecrated yourselves to the Lord. And, and we're not asking you to re-consecrate yourself to the Lord, we're just saying, Will you now, and are you now, consecrating yourself to this place of ministry assignment? Acts chapter 20, verses 25 through 31, it's a part of Paul's um, uh, farewell speech to the elders at Ephesus. He says, you're not going to see my face any, anymore. And they cry and they weep, oh, don't go, Paul, you know, you're going to get in chains. There's prophecies about your chains. And he goes, don't break my heart, I know that. That's part of God's plan for my life. And and, and then he says, he says something that's really not really all that encouraging, <laughs> but he says, be on guard. I'm going to leave now. He says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So it's every pastor, every good pastor never loses sight of whose sheep they are. <laughs> <laughs> and you know that, and I know I don't have to explain that to you, and the cost of making them, it's his own blood. But today we apply this scripture not at the end of a relationship, but at the official beginning of a relationship. And the first thing he says is keep watch over yourselves. First thing, yourself personally. Now that's never a selfish, me first kind of attitude. You don't have that attitude. Uh, but it's a recognition that unless you care for your own spiritual life, the rest of your ministry is, is going to lack. In fact, I would submit that it's out of the outflow of your own relationship with the Lord that true ministry happens. And really all of your other responsibilities will flow from that. Keep watch over yourselves personally and keep watch over your family. I know you know this, but I'm going to repeat it So, in the, in the ears of everybody here. Pastor Brenda and Brian, God never intended ministry to take precedence over your family. Don't ever let it. Don't ever let that happen. Take your regular days off. Uh, pastor, pastoral staff people and the rest of the board, help, them to take, help her to take her day off. Ask her, did you take a day off this week? A real day off. Uh, you know, 
Now, we know that emergencies happen, and, they'll, and, and, and she'll be there for emergencies and, and, and that, but, but please, please remember that a pastor's family life is sacred and, and honor that on a weekly basis. So he says, keep watch over yourself and then keep watch over all the flock. So, Pastor Brenda, you're the new overseer. And uh, that's, the, you, that's the word that's used there. And as the lead pastor, Brenda, you have responsibilities that no one else here has. And I know you feel the weight of that. I know you, I know you sense that. And, and I know that you know it's a wonderful privilege and a huge responsibility. Uh, but that scripture also says that you're a shepherd. So when I was in Kosovo, um, brand new believers, brand, I mean such brand new believers that they, if you would have told them this is what Christians do to worship, they, they would have done that. I mean, they, they, you know, they, uh, that was weird. Okay, that was weird. Okay, this, this is a serious moment. It is a serious moment. And, and so we had a, and it was dangerous, and so we had to go in groups of two and three into this building, and, and the Albanian uh, person who was doing the, uh, the uh, translating said, introduced me and said, this is a pastor from the United States. Does anybody here know what a pastor is? And there are about 60 brand new believers. And one person said something in Albanian, and, and he said, no, not really. And another person said, no, not really. And then finally, somebody said the Albanian word for shepherd. He said, that's it. That's what a shepherd is. That's what a pastor is. A pastor is a shepherd. And, and this, this shepherd staff is a symbol of that kind of responsibility. This, this end of it is to care for the sheep. If a, if a sheep starts to go astray, if it gets in trouble, it's, it speaks of caring. It speaks of, of feeding. It's, it, 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 it speaks of, of loving uh, a flock and, and all of those kinds of wonderful responsibilities. This end is, has a different purpose because, because pastoral uh, ministry has the care of the flock and the protection of the flock at the same time. This end is intended to to uh, to protect against to protect the flock against false teachers, against false prophets, against false leaders, against people who just think they know more about pastoring than you. You would be amazed. I'm a brand new superintendent since last May. You would be amazed at how many unsolicited how much unsolicited advice I've received about what I should be doing with my time, energy, effort. You would be amazed. Thank you. <laughs> and so today we, we give you this staff as a symbol of that in a fresh way and a new way. And I want to ask you some questions, and it's just one question. And, uh, and if you agree with it, say amen. And then I'm going to ask you, Brian, a question. And if you agree with it, you say amen. And then I'm going to ask the entire congregation that question. Now, you want, we want to have the past, some of the pastoral staff up here. Are they available, pastoral staff people? If you can come on up here. Okay. Since I can't pinpoint all of you, I will trust that all of you know that. You're supposed to be up here. And then uh, I'm going to ask you to respond in the same way with the entire congregation. Here's my first question to Pastor Brenda. 
Brenda, I ask you to consecrate yourself as the lead pastor of this flock and to serve them wholeheartedly in that role. And if your answer is yes, please say amen. Brian, I ask you to consecrate yourself to find your own place of ministry assignment here in this flock. And if you agree to do that, would you say amen? amen. Okay, pastoral staff. And board members that are here as well and, and to the congregation as a whole. In fact, will you please stand so we can all be involved in that also. I'm going to ask you to consecrate yourselves to your fellowship with each other and to work to the work that the Lord wants to accomplish in you and through you. And if your answer is yes, please say amen. I want to pray. Pastor Brenda, can you get right here in front of me and facing me and Brian there? If you guys will kind of, there's a great word, glom around them. Glom is what you do with caramel apple. Just glom. And then uh, board members, if you're on the board, if you'll come next. And any family members that are here, if you'll jump in next. And now all the rest of you come glom. I'm going to lead in prayer in just a minute, but um, let me... Let me just get up here for just a second. Um, when we were singing one of the worship songs, it was the one about fanning the flame. And uh, uh, here, here's, what I, here's what I know. The ministry of Jesus is characterized by two word pictures that he gives us. He, he says this, he says, a bruised reed I will not break. And smoking flax, I will not snuff out. That's, his ministry is characterized by, by, by that heart attitude. Let me just say, and, and, and I thought about that as, as we sang that, because there, wherever I go, there are people who maybe aren't fully flamed. Their, their walk with the Lord is less than what it should be, and they know it. And they know it. And, and it's a strange contradiction. This isn't part of the ceremony. This is something else. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, they, they feel um, it's a strange situation they're in because they, they want their relationship with the Lord to be better, and yet they don't. And then they feel guilty that it's not, and so they don't take any steps. And here's the word, that if you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. You know, God pursues the unsaved. Once we're saved, we become pursuers of him. And if you're not pursuing him right now, will you hear this from him? That he loves you, he cares for you, and you're welcome back. You're welcome back. And he won't look at a piece of, like a candle that's just about to go out and go, it's going to go out anyway. He doesn't do that. 
He fans it because he knows there's hope there. He knows that life can happen. Flame can happen again. A bruised reed. Listen, what, what, what are you going to do with it? It's broken. You know, just leave it alone. It's going to die, okay? No, a bru- he, doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't destroy that. He brings restoration and wholeness and renewal. And if that's where you're at today, as we pray for your new pastor, would you consecrate yourself as well and feel his love and sense his love in a new way? Thank you, Father. Father, we lay hands on Pastor Brenda. And today, Lord, we consecrate her as the lead pastor here at Cornerstone in Beulah. Father, I pray that she'll have ears to hear what your spirit is saying to her. That, Father, her mouth will speak what you are saying. And she will not fail to speak everything you're saying. And she won't say less than what you're saying. We pray that she'll have eyes to see what you are doing. Jesus, you said you did what you saw your Father doing. So may she see what the Father is doing. I pray for these shoulders, Lord. I pray that that she will grow up into this responsibility. That the weight of the responsibility will not crush her, but instead will cause her to grow into it, Father. I pray that you will put over her heart a breastplate of righteousness, of, of holiness, of purity, that you'll protect her, Father. I pray that her feet will be shod with the good news of the gospel. I pray for Brian, Lord, that as a helpmeet, as 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 one called alongside to help his wife, that, Father, he will find his place of ministry too. And, Father, as you have ordered this and ordained this, Lord, that you will cause their hearts to be united like never before and their family. In this congregation, and may the unity of that spread to this congregation. And may this congregation hear your clarion call once again to be agents of the kingdom of God here on earth as you've willed it from heaven. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you will come and seal all of this. Come, Holy Spirit, seal it. Seal it deep in our hearts and deep in our spirits. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Love you, Brenda. Brian, love you. Um... There should be, there's flowers coming. Do you know where they are? Oh, those are the flowers? No, 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 those are the flowers. Here they come. And a card and... Don't cry now, you'll make me cry. I just want to say that from all of us, especially the pastoral and the leaders of the church. I know all of us are in agreement, but we are honored to have you as our pastor, and we are honored to stand with you as a team in this church. So, well, we're excited. Okay, (laughs) hugs all around, and... uh...